Welcome to the Pessel. Reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie making process. Hosted by Spam Robocallings. This is the U.S. credit card company calling with important information. Now, let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to the Pessel. Today's show is brought to you by Exaximax. For all of your planetary destruction needs, think Exaximax. Axe. There's an extra axe in there. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is a film podcast, generally for movie nerds. There's We have a big, disparate audience. I'm using big relative to zero. <laughs> we, we do have listeners or filmmakers. You're a full-time producer and musician. I just do video stuff, uh, working on trying to move into bigger arenas for sure. And this kind of serves as a, a jumping off point to, to learn and get better at this whole process. Not everyone is interested in being like an actor or a filmmaker. And so, you know, some people are creatives for sure. I think we have a lot of creative listeners and I would be surprised if everyone isn't a creative in some form or fashion, that would definitely surprise me. But we have a lot of film lovers. I think if you tune in regularly, you'll come to find that, you know, we really love movies and we cover, I mean, a lot, but we do tend to hit a lot of sci-fi and horror and all the better if you can combine sci-fi and horror, <laughs> that's, that's going to be a happy place for me. All that aside, that lays right. Uh, we have an extra thing we're doing at the end of this episode. So I think we're going to cut short our normal preamble and what are we going to cover today <laughs> today we are reviewing underwater so if you haven't watched this film pause the episode go watch it because there's gonna be spoilers all over the place in this film i know what everyone's thinking that was the smoothest segue in the history of the pestle and you're correct <laughs> you're so <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> you know, they can't all be butter, my man. That's the truth. That is I mean, that the magic of editing, right? How many times have I screwed up all the names? I literally, I am not capable of reading the names one time through. I think I did it one time and we had a guest on. I think it was, was it when yeah, it was burning. Dave was on? It was burning. It was burning. And, and I just blew through some of the hardest names that we've ever had. And I just blew it. through it. Yeah. Because <laughs> and every other time I like screw, I screw them all up completely. I don't know. It's one of the best things. It's one of my favorite things because I'm, I'm like, yeah, I would not do any better. So that's not like there's a right choice between us. Uh, <laughs> and, it, and it's always just kind of hilarious. And that, that episode in particular was extra hilarious because of how well you did it, or at least how well we perceive that you did it <laughs> well no because i stopped afterwards and i said i crushed that <laughs> like i was well aware halfway through that wow this is going awkwardly well and it's like a you know? no hitter right you, you're like in yeah. the bottom of the seventh and you still haven't you know thrown an error or anything and you're just like don't 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 say anything don't don't mess yeah, this don't. up <laughs> <laughs> exactly so yeah, we are going to cover underwater. We'll talk about a few things. Cinematography. I have just very, very minor notes on that, but I have a pretty deep dive into the story and writing. Nora as an action hero. I uh, will definitely touch on creating tension. One of the things this movie kind of excels at. And at some point, probably early on in the breakdown, I will go into how Kristen Stewart could probably save us from a robot uprising. 
and other such stuff and things and stuff. Like in real life, like yeah. in, we have a robot uprising. Correct. I mean, it's not Kristen underway Stewart. yet, but if that were to happen, I think Kristen Stewart could be used as a litmus test. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, okay. okay. I see where we're going with this. All right. Uh, so... <laughs> A quick synopsis of the film. A crew of oceanic researchers working for a deep sea drilling company try to get to safety after a mysterious earthquake devastates their deep water research and drilling facility located at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. Directed by William Eubank. Screenplay by Brian Duffield and Adam Kozad. Cinematography by Bojan Bazelli. Starring Kristen Stewart as Noah Price. Vincent Cassell as Captain Lucian. Mamadou Athi as Rodrigo, TJ Miller as Paul, and Jessica Henwick as Emily. What is that thing? All I know is it was eating a dead body and then it came at me. Em, what are you doing? Uh, I'm just looking for its mouth. Is it still alive? No, no, no. Because I will kill it. I think I just touched an egg. Nora, how much further do we have? 200 meters away from the bottom. It doesn't have any eyes. How are they attracted to the light? Oh my god, look at those. Maybe they're like moths. Underwater moths. It's like talons. I think this might be a new species. Do you get to name it? I shot it, I'm naming it. I've never seen sea life like this down here. Unless, unless we bored into a hydrothermal pocket. If it was sustained heat that could support life. Serious. So, I mean, there wasn't really any amazing clips to play, but because everything that's fun about this is kind of on the screen. <laughs> I mean, we saw this together for the first time, not knowing almost anything about it other than it takes place underwater and people are in danger. That's, I think, about as much ammunition as we had walking into this. Second time through, what's your take on this, man? <laughs> yeah, second time through is just as enjoyable. It's fantastic. I love it. I could watch it again right now. I remember being in the theater and thinking, whoa, they get straight into the action. There is no bullshit, no like messing around. They're straight into it. From the very beginning, there's an explosion and they're they're all about it. So, and we have to solve some problems and we see people die right away and there's cost to, to something immediately. And I completely buy Kristen Stewart for who she, in her role. I've always thought that she's a fantastic actress anyway, mm. but this role just really is a good example of that. I think one of the reasons is she does a lot with a little bit, like she has really good con facial control. That's really important for a role like this, where it's not really about what you're saying, more important about how you're saying it and what's behind that, like the actual fear being behind that or the determination being behind it or whatever. And she just did amazing. The casting was fantastic because there were a couple of players that were, you know, B-list players that unexpectedly got killed off, you know, pretty quick and like in surprising ways. I mean, just like, I forget his name, but the one guy whose helmet implodes. Oh, Rodrigo. Uh, yeah. Rodrigo, yeah. Well, he dies. That was completely unexpected because he was the one that, that she saves first. 
you know, by closing mm. the door. And so we're thinking, okay, he's going to be with her for a while, at least not, not really. Anyway. So the comedy is so perfect. <laughs> the first, the first time, who is it? Paul? Is it yeah. Paul? Who's the the funny? Yeah. So the, who, his first line is so perfect. I texted you while I was watching the film, <laughs> the line, you beautiful flat chested elven creature. It was just so, per- so perfect because she, you know, she has short hair in this film. She's not busty. I don't know who cares, but I'm yeah. just saying like, it was just like so on the nose and, so, and perfect to break the, the tension that had been there from the very beginning, the way that they use that, that comedic break is just flawless and fantastic. And they keep it steady throughout while he's alive. So he's always cracking jokes. He's always making you laugh. So even when, like in the scene you just played where they have this baby on their ship and, and then all the power goes out on this little tiny pod my immediate like response is, oh my God, I can't breathe. I'm going to die. He still has this funny element. Anything he says is hilarious. And so it breaks that tension somehow. So then when he finally does die, there is nothing to break the tension from then on for the rest of the film. And so you're like, okay, here we go. Now we're in it. You know, nobody else is going to make me, going to amuse me now. So to, to introduce comedy when we don't expect it, to keep it going and then take it away when we're expecting to continue to have it is just genius. It's just brilliant writing. And the way that they kill these characters off is also brutal. And without showing you too much of the the monster shows you the power of the monster, which is a classic. I think a lot of our favorite monster films are like that, where we see the essence of the monster without seeing the monster. Attack the Block is a good example mm-hmm. and that, that you love, that you turned yeah. me on to. And this does that so well. I mean, we do see the monster. We're not saying that you can't show yeah. it, but you know, show its ability or its danger without showing it, even if we know what it looks like. Like That's scary. So yeah, there's a ton of tension, ton of release, ton of comedy when necessary and not when not and good cost to things like everything has a cost. There's a lot of lives lost and I don't know that there's necessarily lessons. Maybe there is, but it doesn't, I'm not looking for that. It's like a pure popcorn movie that you sit down and you just get enveloped in. You're, we're never not under the water. We're always under the water. We're never on the surface. There's no going, getting out of here, right? We're trapped in there with them. So we want them to get out too, because we don't have that release of, oh, you know, cutting to the ship on the surface in the storm or something. We don't have that release, which is, you know, different from other movies like this, like the abyss or whatever, where you can cut to the surface and you have that, I can take a breath. There is no breathing here. And so I absolutely loved it. I, I, loved everything about it. In fact, it's very hard for me to find anything that I don't love about it. I was never taken out of the story the the entire time. Um, I thought the special effects were really fantastic. They did practical when they could. And yeah, it was wonderful. Agreed on all fronts, man. Holy crap. Yeah. I mean, even just looking at that clip with the, uh, the little baby monster, I'm like, man, I mean, it looks practical and it's beautiful like that's a really beautiful you know character design and execution which is really hard to do i feel like most films 
do their best to not show you as cleanly as they show you whenever they plop it on the table on this like backlit white light table and it's just perfectly visible but yeah in every way man i great point about we never cut to the surface like we are in in the same pressure with it's breathless the entire time and we're kind of identifying with them every step of the way yeah i loved it i mean just the breathlessness of it i really appreciated that we're not really wasting any moments every time they're doing something it's for a purpose it's with a reason like okay we have a goal obviously survival is the uh, the main ultimate goal but every step that they're taking is to ensure their survival and they take risks in order to accomplish their goals and man yeah i mean we probably get 45 to 60 seconds into the film before the first explosion you know after the credits uh, and it's just from there on like you are holding your breath waiting for the next event and they come pretty rapid fire and even the moments that they kind of have to gather themselves again you are anticipating something's happening because like that scene we played they're making their way down to the bottom to the bottom of the trench and you're just like watching the numbers because as as he asks her how far are we how far do we have left to go and you're looking at the meter read 205 204 203 and when you see countdowns like that it creates this little bit of anxiety like are we we're so far away and it's moving so slow it's not possible we're going to get there <laughs> and of course you know that's exactly when it halts and uh you know the next new mission kind of unfolds but it's just perfect man the pacing in this thing is absolutely beautiful this is a absolutely perfect like 95 minute use of 95 minutes you never feel left out you never feel confused you always understand the stakes particularly because the stakes are so you know easy to understand and uh, graspable you always are right there with the characters i i was just super pleased with this because you don't know what, when you walk into a, a horror film called underwater that takes place underwater you don't know how tropey they're going to get and how obvious the hits are going to be i think we had seen you know some of the trailers and we knew it was going to look beautiful like the they had some really great slow-mo shots in the trailer and you're like oh yeah i mean at a minimum we're going to get a couple cool shots <laughs> and so you don't really expect much more than that and this movie just it did a great job of like containing all the action emotion's not really there you know that's it's pretty light and pretty ineffectual ineffectual on that front but i didn't really tune in for it for that and so walking out necessarily without it i didn't care i got i feel like i got what i wanted which was a, a roller coaster some thrills and some really cool shots i was super pleased and literally watching it right now <laughs> like, just because and it, yeah. how about just like the quality of the storytelling is fantastic i mean in the very beginning of meeting the captain we, we find out he's a father and he has a daughter. And she's like, why didn't you go? You have a daughter, right? And then later on when she's in the other, the, the second submersible area, I don't even know how to call it, where to call it. Yeah, some kind of locker room thing. She finds out that her his daughter had died already. Yes. It's like this little funeral. Yeah, it's like a funeral invitation, memorial yeah. invitation or something. Yeah, yeah. which is, is like, they did not have to do that. And I wonder why would they do that? Would they do that for us so that we don't, you know, as the viewer, we're not thinking that, that he sacrificed himself and is going to not be there for his daughter now. I don't know why they did it, but it's, it, I'm glad they did. Yeah. Same. I think on the one hand kind of solidifies their 
somewhat father-daughter relationship that they kind of were building towards. Yeah, that's what it felt like from the beginning of of when he she like comes to him. Yeah, and then with her, like she had lost her fiance, and so I think between those two things, both of those characters make intentional sacrifices, and it kind of gives them an out, an emotional appeal for. I can understand why they were that much more willing. Like I'm going to save someone and it's uh, kind of a stand in for the person that they couldn't save in their own lives. Yeah, totally. And so that's the best yeah. I can kind of reason out of that. I love that. I think that's totally valid. Yeah. Yeah. But I love how they don't give us any exposition we don't need. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't need to see the rig being built or everybody going down to the rig or like meet any of the people who had died. Right. Or even see the, the escape pods leaving. Yeah. We didn't get to see any of that stuff. We get to the captain after all the escape pods had left and he, you know, quote unquote, saved a bunch of people, even though they, none of the pods made it, but, or a lot of them didn't, but we don't even see any of that. None of that. And why would we need to? Right. Yeah. But we hang out with Nora the entire time. Like it's always through her perspective, which is really interesting, especially when you get to that scene when she comes upon Emily, who's dragging Liam, her fiance, and you're kind of confused at first because she's calling to Emily like, Emily, hey, it's me. I'm here. I'm here. And like <laughs> Emily speeds up like, and you're just like, what's going on? And then she tackles her. And for and finally, you, you begin to realize, oh, she's terrified. She thinks uh, that Nora was a monster or someone, you know, that was going to hurt her. And so you can start to empathize a little bit and see from Nora's perspective of the way she's being interacted with, with, with Emily. Whereas if you had cut to the perspective of Emily, suddenly things get a little bit easier for the viewer. And now we have this kind of dramatic irony that wouldn't pay off because why, what's the interesting thing about knowing Emily's okay. And that, she's going to get rescued by Nora as opposed to seeing everything from Nora's perspective. Like, Oh, she's coming on Emily, but Emily's acting weird. Is everything okay with her? And now we have tension of, should we be afraid of, you know, what we're walking up on right now? And then we have this kind of resolution and then additional perspective of Emily saying, Oh my God, I thought you were dead. (laughs) You know? And suddenly we fill in those blanks. Like you're saying, there's no wasted exposition. It's all just what you need to know. They set up a lot of the 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 deaths too really well. Like when um, Rodrigo dies, we know there's a lot of pressure down there. But even in the credits, in the opening credits, they give you a lot of little breadcrumb things. And there was one moment, and I had to rewind it because I wanted to see it and I missed it, where they tell you it's like this many tons per square inch of pressure. And it was, that's insane Like to yeah. think about that. like It's like four tons of pressure per square inch down there. So when Rodrigo dies the way he dies and he basically disintegrates and like body parts like go floating away, you understand how that could happen, you know, imagining that that much pressure. It's just a split second in the credits. And if you're not watching, you will miss it. But if you do watch, it's just a little bit of of verification of like, oh yeah, that would could totally happen. I'll jump in through a few things here. There's cinematography. Obviously, it's a lot of handheld stuff, which just helps ground us, right? It almost gives it this kind of documentary feel as we're kind of panning around. It's shaky. And that's just nice for horror to do in order to make you buy into 
the fact that we're underground. Like, I think sometimes the more outrageous the location or the setup, the more it benefits to go kind of the handheld route as a method of making you feel immersed in the scene. But to their credit, too, it also adds an extra kind of shake or shock to the special effects, right? To help sell the instability and the explosions. Um, I mean, this whole, all the sets are very wet. Like there's just water everywhere dripping. And at times even the lens has water on it. And so they're constantly trying to immerse you in the same way that they are submerged. <laughs> and so, yeah, as far as story and writing, I really love Nora as an action hero. And I'll try to kind of go, not quite beat for beat, but just through some of the, the moments. Like that opening sequence, you know, she's brushing her teeth, the walls and ceilings suddenly explode around her, right? Water is just imploding the entire place. And she immediately sprints off. Like she hesitates none. She is off to the races and she knows exactly where she needs to go. And that's kind of what you want out of an action hero, is, which is uh, not just determination, but great decision-making and fast on their feet, no pun intended. And so once she gets to where she's trying to go, she has to shut the door. There's this great moment where she has to shut it and let people die and effectively watch them die or die herself along with everyone else on the rig. And I want to play through this whole sequence because I really love it. And this kind of also falls under the creating tension setup that I want to talk about. And there's several of those we'll walk through. But for this one, I love the, the slow delivery of this moment because there's also this urgency and buildup that's going hand in hand. And so it's really well paced to deliver action and the exposition and allowing the moment to settle. To me, it's pretty masterful, to be honest. And so we're seeing the people running towards us, clearly losing the race against the explosion as, as they're getting closer, right? The water is absolutely caught up to them and even surpassing them. And she's still, you know, waiting. And so we have Rodrigo right next to her in her ear, clearly explaining the stakes. You have to close the door or the rig is going to go. And so the explosion is getting closer. And I, that's such a great like anxiety inducing, uh, inducing uh, action shot where the explosion is just doo -doo 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 -doo, kind of climbing towards the camera. That is just gorgeous. I have no idea if that was practical or, vis or VFX. My instinct is practical, but I honestly have no idea. It's so well done. <laughs> and then... The they cut from that to the exterior shot of the tunnel kind of being crushed and imploding, boom, 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 boom. And so you have this rhythm that's building. And whenever you kind of create that rhythm, like you're you're creating this anticipation of the finale. And so you can kind of feel it because we're rhythmic creatures, right? We have heartbeats. And so I feel like our we're relating that rhythm to our heartbeat and feeling our own heart heart rate start to speed up. And then from there, we kind of dolly in to her deciding. It's this really small, slow push in before she finally, as the noise goes from quieter to louder and louder and louder, then she hits the button, the door closes as the implosion reaches us. And it's great because we kind of settle for a moment, we're safe for a moment. And then it's like, nope, you were a little too late. There's a small price to pay. Boom, and she slowly flies through the air and blacks out. Like that is such a great sequence and I think the key to that entire sequence, especially in relation to her being an action hero, was that they let her make the call. Rodrigo didn't get to press the button. He could have. It was right there. He had all the right, you know, and access, uh, but they let her do it. She did what was necessary and she didn't back down. And I think that was absolutely critical for her because for her, she is constantly proactive and fighting for everyone. 
right at the end, she punches Emily right in the face in order to save her life. That's a really great decisive moment that you want out of an action hero. Assaulting a woman in order to save her life is genius, especially even more genius <laughs> to let that happen through another woman. Yeah. Because yeah, she's not say. soft, right? She's an action hero in a way that you don't normally see action heroes. It's it's really fantastic. And even, you know, her relationship with the captain isn't one of, oh, now I'm with the captain. Now it's time to fall in line. Nope. She's going to also tell him when he's screwing up and she's going to give him good advice. And it's a really fun dynamic to watch someone wrestle with the captain in that way. And of course, at the at the finale, you know, she, of course, sacrifices herself, which is, you know, it, the, the pinnacle of any action hero is the ability to, to sacrifice yourself, which is also interesting in, in conjunction with Rodrigo. And so let's walk through some other moments of them building tension. For one, Rodrigo being a black dude, the only one in this film dying first might get some eye rolls. For me, I think it's it works really well because of one of the reasons that you already said, right? You, Him being the first rescued, we do kind of get the impression that, oh, we're forming our team and now he's a key part of this team. And so it's such a long trope of the black person dying first in the movie that you don't really expect it anymore. I think you kind of get to a point where you expect them to make it all the way through. By going with that trope, you're you're playing against modern day expectations. So I think it's uh it's kind of a clever ploy against the audience to say that this is not a safe space. Like this, you don't know what's gonna happen next. The other nice thing about killing him particularly was that he was a good person, right? He chose the faulty helmet to save her which not only makes that moment hurt so much more and cause surprise, but it also kind of goes against any inclination at the, at the previous scene. Cause he was in her ear saying, you have to kill these people in order to save everyone else. So your, your inclination may be he's a selfish person, but the exact opposite is true. He's thinking bigger than that. He's trying to save people and him sacrificing himself in the way that he did kind of underscores that, that he's not a selfish character, that he is in it for the betterment and, and trying to look out for everyone else. I think, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I, you're totally right. And I think that that he, he knew that she was the one that was going to save everyone. Like if anybody was going to be needed, it would be her. He would have been saved, not have been saving. Mm -hmm. So he made that decision knowing that if I don't, if I don't do this, then I think we all might die. Yeah. Same, same situation as when he was telling her to hit the button. So yeah. yeah. And so that see that sequence itself is pretty, pretty fun because seeing him select the helmet gives us the tiniest bit of pause because right as he's doing that, there's this dialogue off screen that's happening about, you know, are there any good helmets left? You know, uh, select only the, the good ones. And so as that's being said, he's looking at this helmet and there's a beat. It's brief, but it's there. And it makes us aware that the helmets are a thing to be conscious about. And so we get underwater and really before the thing even opens, like we hear this first crack. It's a sonic thing. It's not a visual thing. We can hear the, the tension and this little pressure. Kink, and it's basically unnoticed by everybody, except we see the worry on his face. And then that first tiny blast as the door cracks open creates a visible crack in his helmet, which of course creates panic, but the destruction comes before anyone can do anything so fast and it's very gross. And it creates a, uh, not necessarily a template, but an expectation. And the horror is kind of, it's, it's here. Like this is going to be a, a pretty brutal film because I, 
I'm sure there's been other implosions throughout, you know, horror films. But to me, this, this that was one of the greats because it's so effective. And then you also have Emily screaming her head off. You feel it and you see it. Uh, it's just and then there's that uh, percussive blast that kind of rips through the water like that whole sequence is really fantastic. And then jumping to uh, uh, another sequence where Paul and Liam, this goes more into creating tension. Paul and Liam are outside, right? Right after that scene we played, uh, or it's right before that scene where they're out, you know, inspecting what's going on out here. Is this body like alive or not? Because they're, they're looking for a guy. And so they're out there looking for this guy and they come upon the dead body and they see it. And now they're looking at something else. And it's at this point where Nora's had enough. She's like, okay, you know what? Just come back. Don't check it out. Just come back. And of course, Paul is like, no, I'm going to take a closer look. <laughs> and so and so that's really, really good because in horror films, rejecting good advice creates tension in the audience because now we have an ad- advocate for a reason who is voicing our thoughts, which is always, you know, don't go, don't go through that door. And so this whole dynamic creates a foreshadowing of something bad because it's kind of a rule that good advice that's ignored should come at a price. And so that in itself starts creating a foreshadowing intention in, in the viewer. And of course, they they find this monster floating around and that adds more to the tension. But they ultimately bring this dead monster baby back inside. And what I love about this sequence is this is our first encounter of the monster. We see it dead really before we even see it alive, which is really nice because we can see what it's capable of. Uh, making us more afraid of it, right? She's kind of analyzing it and she's seeing all these weird teeth and it feels very real now. And I I really love that. Allowing the biologist to kind of speculate on its origins. They're grounding the universe scientifically, like they're giving it some kind of scientific impetus, which creates more buy-in for the viewer. And then, of course, Paul has this line, this better not be some 20,000 leagues under the sea shit, man. And of course, it's that and also much, much worse than that. And then that leads into the 52 minute mark where we finally have the the first real kill where Paul dies. There's this great sequence, right, where they're all through this underwater tunnel and now they're waiting for Paul to come through. And so he's not responding and he's not advancing. And so they finally decide we're going to pull pull on the cord, right? Pull the cord to, to yank him through. And that is itself like this dramatic thing. He, he He's not talking. And it's this really hard, tense pull as they're yanking on it. We're expecting a bloody stump. Like nothing good ever happens out of this scenario. And so the expectation is bloody stump. And of course, he comes through and he's fine. And you're like, okay, get his helmet off. Like, oh, wow, okay, everything's good. And then, of course, something starts pulling him back, which immediately ramps all the tension back up, trying to get his helmet on. And his leg gets ripped off. And this is so beautiful. Blood fills the suit. Horror has landed. We're now officially fighting more than the sea. We're now at war with undersea monsters. And to your point, like killing Paul kills a lighthearted mood that so now we feel the weight so much more without the comedy that alleviation is perfect i think you said it so well like introducing it allowing us that escapism and then taking it away heightens it that much more and throughout the film they do a great job of like growing the threat right let's make life harder not easier 
And so it starts off, you know, with the baby from there on, it only gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it's you know, like unseemly like this. What else is what else is down there? <laughs> like what birthed this thing? <laughs> it starts off with one monster. OK, is it just this thing? Are there two? OK, it's smaller than big enough to like swallow them whole. And as they keep proceeding, everything kind of gets more imposing. And so as they reach the goal line, right they're they're trying to get to the drill itself. And as they get there, they now are encountering an entire horde of them in between them and their goal. And so the finish line is scarier and now far more impossible than it's ever been before. And that's, of course, you know, just genius. You don't want it to get easier. Like, oh, we climb the hill and it's all, you know, coasting from here. No, like make it more ridiculous. And I love this because right as they're Nora and Emily kind of buckle down, trying to save Liam's lazy butt as they're dragging him through. It's them figuring it out. And as they're halfway through, they wake one up and it swallows her whole. <laughs> and it's so good because she's getting eaten, you know, quite literally. And she has to fight through it. Help isn't coming. She is once again, the only character that is going to save herself, especially at this point in the story where, you know, she f shoots, I don't know, is, is it just a flare? It's a flare. It felt, it felt like so much more, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's it, a big flare. It's a very big flare. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> that's a fair flare. And so she <laughs> like, blasts through the thing and then we wake them all up. But at this point, you know, they go away and we're like, we begin to realize that was only just a fraction of the real enemy, which is revealed to be a sea monster. Now, is it Cthulhu? That's kind of the ongoing theory. I don't agree. And I'll get to who and what I think it is here in a moment. But whether or not it's Cthulhu, I haven't read HP Lovecraft. So I don't know if this movie really says or gives us any indication that it could be Cthulhu. I, I, I really don't think it is. No one definitely says anything about Cthulhu. And I don't know enough about his backstory to see if any of those signs. What I do think, and this kind of leads me into one of the final sections here. What is this all about? What is this movie really about? I think it's kind of all over the place. There's no real hard landing here, right? You have the Jules Verne reference, the 20,000 Leagues. You have an Alice in Wonderland reference. You actually have two because there's also something written on someone's back that says we're all mad here which I think is a reference to the Mad Hatter. You have, you know, kind of these fiancés and fam familial deaths along with Emily and Liam, you know, being engaged and her saving him to go and be with each other. I don't know. There, it's, it's very hard to discern. At the beginning, like she rescues a spider from the sink, which I think was kind of foreshadowing or uh, symbolizing that they're bringing something up from the deep, right? The, the drill itself humanity went down into the sea to pull up something scary and so maybe in that kind of way the the spider her pulling the spider out of the sink was symbolizing that but then you get into uh tian industries seems like a play on titan as in titans and if you don't know what titans are they were the superiors the creators of the olympians of the greek gods so you have the gods and then above them are the titans but even above the Titans are another race. I think it all begins with Gaia and Gaia created everything. The Promordius, I forget who, not Prometheus, but these original layers of deities that are even above the Titans. One of which is called Pontus. 
Now, Pontus is referenced in this movie. Pontus Endeavors is, uh, if you look at their their clothing, is I guess the name of the deep sea expedition. And Pontus is a reference precedes the Titans. Again, Tian maybe being a reference. I'm telling you, this is all very murky territory, but Pontus and Tian uh, seem to be related, at least in the film. And so the Pontus is a reference to the actual deity of the sea itself. And so my theory is that the monster they uncovered is either Pontus itself or more likely uh, Poseidon. I think they encountered Poseidon and this is the deep sea god of the sea that they they uncovered. And so I don't think it's Cthulhu. I think everyone's got it wrong. Now, maybe the writers will come out and say, no, it was Cthulhu. If so, that's fine. They totally forgot to insert it into their movie. And so I would need them to actually do that for them to get credit for it. And my deep, you know, snark aside that's my theory i think it's i think it's either pontus or uh, poseidon beyond that the narration doesn't really go anywhere like the opening is this whole monologue about there's only awake and dreaming and it's not easy to tell apart i dream about the first thing he ever said to me and we come to later figure out that she's talking about her fiance who's deceased he didn't believe in time only moments he was a glass half full type i preferred empty there's a comfort to cynicism. There's a lot less to lose. I mean, to me, that's indicating there's some depression there and some hopelessness. But at the end, right, she says, you know, it's really lonely in the dark. So let's light it up. And, you know, she detonates everything. And so it, to me, it's, you know, this attempt to put a button on her journey. And it's fine. I mean, for what it is, I just don't think it really adds up to much more than that than just a moment on the, on the screen. I don't think it really helps tell a bigger conversation about love and death and, and sacrifice. I don't know, maybe it could have. I'm okay that it doesn't. I don't think it does. And I'm okay with that. I think it still is an effective kind of letting us into her inner life and that kind of thing. Because regardless, it's still a really fun ride and that's not what I wanted coming out of this movie. And so I think it totally works and it's totally fine as just a, a connective tissue more than some kind of actual embodiment of a thing. And also regardless, I like that this was a more pure man versus nature and a, to some degree, man versus self, which often go hand in hand. But this never becomes a man versus man. And I love that. Everyone is fighting for each other. And that's not always common in horror films. Usually there's some degree of self selfishness that, that comes through horror films. And it's all about people trying to save themselves. And here it's all about them trying to save each other. And that's really refreshing and beautiful as a means of, you know, thinking about humanity. My last point is, <laughs> so I'll preface this whole spiel <laughs> with, Todd and I, I wouldn't say we've ever made a point of it, but internally, I think we make a point to never objectify anybody on screen. Like we, we've never had this conversation. We've never said, Hey, don't talk about, you know, how sexy or hot or whatever X, Y, Z person is. We've never had that conversation. I think it just kind of flows out of who we want to be known as, you know, to the public, Joe public. And so we've never once pointed out in any unequal or, you know, kind of overbearing way how hot someone is on screen but with that in mind give me a little slack and grace <laughs> because my god Kristen stewart burns the screen up in this movie it's impossible yes. to not watch this movie and think oh yeah Kristen stewart's hot 
like that's she's she's blazing to the point and this gets to my 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 shtick which is okay let me just take you back to world war ii <laughs> as all all great modern things begin in world war ii like we were invading europe right and at night you would not necessarily always know who's who and there was like a password and so if you were in a trench and someone walked up on you you would say flash and they would say thunder and that way you knew okay this is an american this guy's on my side i can trust this person now imagine in you know two years there's a robot uprising <laughs> and we have to know is this person human or not i think the password at that point might be like Hey man, underwater. Kristen Stewart, so hot. Okay, you're safe. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. <laughs> and so that's that's our protection. Like we need some humanistic quality to differentiate ourselves from the robots or aliens, as it may be. <laughs> Either way, or both. Either way. But no, I think in I think it actually goes a little bit beyond just her being sexy or hot, or I think it also helps in the sense that you make someone really attractive on screen. It also makes you want to root for them that much more like being, you know, attracted to someone that helps you root for them. And now you want them to succeed. And so I think it helps a little bit with emotional investment on the part of the viewer. It's not for waste. I don't think it's pure, like whatever you want to call it, exploitation, which is funny because she's wearing more than you see people on a beach. But at the same time, you know, it just kind of screams in this film. Yeah, she's in her underwear yeah. half the time as well. It, it's it's funny because at the at the same time of you know watching this movie and thinking, wow, like she's she's gorgeous. It was like a a a normal. That's a really pretty woman, right? It wasn't like Megan Fox where she's just right. you know. Just, let's just put the hottest girl we can in this movie for no like. Just to be hot, right? Yeah, just to sell tickets. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. like that. And it was necessary too, because they, yes, she was in her underwear at the beginning, but she had just finished, I guess, a shower and she was brushing mm -hmm. her teeth. And then all this happened. She didn't have time to put on pants, you know? Yeah. So, or did she have put on pants? I don't even remember. I don't think so. She was going to put on her shoes, but didn't. At some point Whatever. she put on Doesn't sweats, matter. yeah. At some point she had to take them off to, to put on the suit. Yeah. But everybody had to take off the pants to put on the suit. So it was like a normal reason to do something like that. Was it an excuse for everyone to be in their underwear to put her back in her? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree. Absolutely smoking. And but, you know, for a purpose. Right. Yeah. And she had shorter hair, too. So it wasn't like this long flowing hair, busty, you know, yeah. curvy, you know, woman to try to be sexual. I think the thing that makes her so attractive in this film isn't that she's in her underwear. It's, I mean, that helps for sure, <laughs> for sure. But it's that she has this, uh, it's the character that she plays yeah. and the way that she plays it. If I'm with anyone, I want to be with her. Yeah. Not because she's in her underwear, because I want to live and she's going to be the one to save me. And she, she plays that so well. I would watch it again right now, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, where it's funny because we're like breaking out in hives having this conversation. <laughs> I know, right? We got to be careful yeah. to take a step back on your uh, Cthulhu. Oh, sure. There was an interview that I found of the director and William Eubank, and he he said this was never designed to be a Cthulhu movie. Nice. So it was the original design was like more of like more squid like. 
Mm. But when they started to actually create the the monster after the filming, and basically it says that they took almost two years to try to develop oh, it, crap. it kept changing. And mm. so finally, finally they kind of modeled it after what they called the old one, which is another H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. Yeah, H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. Thank you. Style monster of like like you said, the monster of all monsters, yeah. kind of thing. And one of the reasons they did that ended up being this kind of design is so that you could see all of the little crawlers on him better mm. and you could see that oh they live on you know yeah. all the smaller monsters live on the big monster right and with a squid more like of a squid like monster it's hard to see yeah all of those and it's not as no scary real exoskeleton yeah yeah right it's not as scary because you can't really see a mouth and you mm. can see this thing's mouth for sure so yeah, and if you look at photos of that, you can kind of tell like, oh, okay, yeah, I can see where that was. But yeah, so you're spot on, spot on with that. Nice. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. I feel good because <laughs> I'm sure if you Google it, everyone's calling it a Cthulhu and it's nice to buck the trends, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. And be right. I honestly want to give it a 10. Yeah. There is nothing about this movie that I didn't like. I felt like I was pulled out. I'm going to get a, a nine and a half just because, you know, you got to reserve the 10. Yeah. But I don't know. Today I'm feeling pretty generous and I think I might just <laughs> give it a 10 because it's just so much fun. Yeah. At the same time as being nerve wracking and, and brutal and, you know, emotional at the same time. And you love all the characters. The writing is brilliant. The directing is fantastic. The c cinematography and the, the CGI is amazing. I think I'm going to land on a nine. Basically the same reasons. I would just want a little bit more emotional resonance on it. There's some there and it's not like I don't care. And I love the final shot being watching Nora still be alive as you know, she's the timelessness that kind of plays into when you're facing death, time slows down. That's one of the things they say in the movie. And so we're kind of watching her last moments alive. And it's nice to end with her alive still on screen, even if we know that, you know, that's her last moment. Nine is for a horror film. I don't foresee many sevens and eights. And <laughs> I've seen a lot of horror films and most of them don't even get to seven. Like, so yeah, uh, nine yeah. is exceptional for sure. Nine or 10 is damn damn impressive what you're gonna recommend this week this week i'm gonna stick did you know that tj's tj miller's name is todd joseph no that's, that's my name that's crazy I, I mean like i didn't i you just think tj like obviously it means something but i never think it would be todd at, or joseph right <laughs> anyway crazy a small wow. world i'm gonna recommend uh deadpool 2 Ooh, ah. another tj miller film and he's hilarious in this movie and uh i mean everybody is this it's fantastic i'm going to stick with horror films if you want something that's not as breathless but still striking and if you have not yet seen the witch i would highly recommend watching that one it's fantastic i've been studying it lately on, on my own just as a method of structure and between underwater and the witch i think there's a lot of great horror structure going on on both of those and so check out the witch by robert eggers stay tuned next week we are going to be taking a dip way back and cover fire in the sky oh yeah. all right yeah, yeah. We had a, nice we had a podcaster request for fire in the sky so <laughs> we'll, we'll dive in there
<laughs> that Perfect. podcast is the Todd, Todd Joseph. Yeah, apparently. right, right. <laughs> and don't forget to subscribe, review, leave us a note if you want us to talk about a thing. I've come to find out that apparently we have like uh, several listeners in the Macon, Georgia area. And so if y'all want to gang up and like request something, you know, feel froggy and leap. And so if you want to leave a note on this episode in particular, especially with my robot uprising theory, you know, that's highly <laughs> You can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash underwater. Fantastic. We'll leave you with the quote of the day from Jacques Cousteau. If we were logical, the future would be bleak indeed. But we are more than logical. We're human beings and we have faith and we have hope and we can work. It's beautiful. Wow. He was amazing just as, you know, an ambassador to the sea. Growing up, yeah. you couldn't not, I, I don't know how much I actually watched of Jacques Cousteau, but everyone knew who Jacques Cousteau was, you know, when we were kids. Yeah. And he has this other quote that's brutal and absolutely honest, which is water and air, the two essential fluids on which all life depends, have become global garbage cans. And it's so accurate. Wow. Oh my God. And I like butting it up against this other quote, you know, that, you know, the future would be bleak if we were just logical, but we're more than that. You know, we're, we're people and we have faith and hope and we are capable. And so, you know, watching something like underwater and they're kind of exploring this whole idea of, have we gone too far? Are we, are we digging too deep? And, and they don't like hammer, hammer home some of these ideas about, you know, pulling energy out of the earth or what have you, but it's there lightly. And so I, I really like this idea that, you know, because we're people, we're never beyond saving. We're, we're always going to be uh, able and capable of fighting, even if uh, it gets worse than we'd like it to be. So beautiful because it shows the dichotomy of being logical, which we all try to be with being faithful, having hope. It separates them, right? Because if you're logical, you're going to do this because it it, it's better for you. You're going to do that because it's better for you. But if you're more than that, then you can see outside of what's just for you and you can do what's best for humanity, right? Or what's best for your neighbor instead of just what's best for you. Because if your neighbor is happy or better off, then you could be better off and society as a, as a whole can be better off, you know? Wow, it's a real beautiful way of saying that kind of thing that is... It's a new way of saying that kind of thing, I feel like, you know? Yeah, I agree. Great quote, man. Thanks, Love man. It. Well, this is so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us, Wes. Man, great notes. I really, really enjoyed this. And I enjoyed texting uh, <laughs> texting lines to <laughs> Live you. Live texting, yeah. <laughs> Live texting during the film. I, I texted you that first line that, that uh, Paul says, and you're like, wait a minute, I know what that is. I know what that is. <laughs> you didn't know I was watching the film. And then, and then like, what? I think it was like five minutes go by and you're like, oh, hi, oh, I know what it is. So good. Uh, so good, so good. I loved this. Anyway, great review. Thank you guys for sticking around all the way to the end. Again, make sure to subscribe, review, all that good stuff. Make suggestions. We'd love to tackle them, whatever, you, whatever you'd like. And if you're, if you're a patron, stay tuned because we have a bonus episode coming up very soon. Love it. Awesome. And thank you for that, by the way. That's all we got. Uh, make sure you join us next week. We'll be covering Fire in the Sky. Until then, I'm Todd. I am Wes. Go watch the movies.